Hey, I'm so glad that you tuned in today. I've got an incredible message uh, called Solomonic Lessons. Solomonic Lessons. Try and say that three times really fast. Solomonic Lessons. Solomonic Lessons. It's Solomon. Solomon is is he's kind of been in my my uh, daily devotions over the last couple of weeks, and God began to speak to me about King Solomon as being the fruit, the fruit, the result the consequence of the previous generation's devotion and demolition of the giants. So David was a giant slayer, but he wasn't just a great warrior. He wasn't just one that you would send into battle to kill a giant, and then you got to go and back, lock him back into his cage. Da- David was extraordinary. His devotion to God, his heart after the things of God, David, David discovered a way into the presence of God that completely circumnavigated and bypassed the Levitical access into the presence of God. In the, in the Old Testament, the law that was handed down to Moses that, that created the tabernacle, that created uh, an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies, the only way you could come into the presence of God was once a year a high priest consecrated, prepared, was able to go in the presence of God. But David knew that God was a God that loved worship. He would feel the presence of God when he would play the harp just as a teenage boy looking after his father's sheep. And so he creates another tabernacle known as the Tabernacle of David, where he rescues the ark and he brings the tabernacle in there and he surrounds it with worship. David would sit just in awe in the presence in the ark of God. This was the same ark that went into the house of a Gittite called Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom means servant of Edom. He wasn't even an Israelite. And the ark was in his home for three months. And the Bible says that everything in Obed-Edom's house was blessed over that three-month period. The the, the presence of God had such an impact on Obed-Edom that you read that chapters and generations later, Obed-Edom, who's not an Israelite, who's an outsider, actually takes up a Levitical role as a doorkeeper in the house of God. Him and his descendants become the doorkeepers of the south gate to the very, very presence of God. Just three months in the presence of God so so ruined him for this world that all he wanted and all his children wanted was to, to be gatekeepers in the house of God. Well, David wins battles. David defeats the Philistines. He defeats all the enemies around about him. But uh, he raises up Solomon. And I want to look at Solomon today, and I want to look at some some verses. So come with me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 2. I want to pull some of these things out. So 2 Chronicles 5, verse 2 says, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of fathers, chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is in Zion. Now jump down to verse four. It says, so all the elders of Israel came and the Levites took up the ark and then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests, the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon, all the congregation of Israel who assembled with with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priest, verse 7, brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple 
to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim had spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. Go down to verse 13. It says, And indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So the priest, verse 14, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now go over to chapter 6. Solomon gets up and he speaks, and then he says this in verse 3. He says, Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, and then it goes on. I just want to uh, talk a, a little bit about our assignment here in San Diego, the church's assignment in the world, and pulling out some of these truths from Solomon. There are some lessons we can learn from the life of Solomon. In fact, even just the person of Solomon, who he is. The first thing that I love is point number one is the presence of God, the presence of God. Solomon has hired a guy called Huram from Tyre. Huram, uh, his mother was from Dan. Dan is the, the, the tribe. Dan means judge. But, his fa- but uh, Huram's father was from Tyre. And, so, and his father was an incredible creative craftsman artisan. And so this craftsman artisan marries a woman from Dan and they produce this guy, Huram. Huram is, is one of the greatest designers and one of the greatest uh, craftsmen and engineers in the land. And he literally is the guy that Solomon hires to build the temple. Everything is made of gold. The doors of, uh, are made of gold. The, the, the two cherubim that, that face one another, whose wings touch in the, the Holy of Holies, are made of pure gold. The, 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 the sea, they make this sea on this beautiful round piece of, of bronze. Bronze speaks of judgment and it's undergirded by 12 oxen showing that the, the earth is held up even though it's under judgment. And uh, that's where the priests do their washing. The purification of the priests happens in the judgments as we walk through in the earth. It's, it's this magnet. Every, every chapter of the temple preaches the gospel. Every chapter is a revelation of God giving insight to Solomon on this world, this life. And when the temple is finally constructed, when the temple is finally finished, you could be in awe of the magnificent architecture the vestibules, the structure, the, the, the gold, the, the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, all of these things. But Solomon says it's not finished until we bring up the ark and the final, final piece is the presence of God. So they go down to the city of David, to the tabernacle of David, and they bring up the presence of God. The priests carry it and they bring it into the outer court. They go into the holy place and then they go into the very holy of holies. And as they position it, Underneath the cherubim, the priests outside can't help themselves. They begin to praise, they begin to worship, and they begin to sing. And the Bible says that a cloud begins to fill the entire temple so they could no longer minister. They're all slain, all uh, laid out in the presence of God, overcome by the glory of God. 
And then Solomon gets up and I love what he says. He, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David. So let me just pull some points out of here. The first one is that church is incomplete whether we have all the gold, all the silver, all the bronze, no matter how magnificent we make our structures, it is incomplete without the presence of God. We are a presence of God church. We can have all the bells. We can have all the whistles. We can have great buildings, great structures, great locations. Oh man, you guys have got awesome buildings right by the freeway. You got great, great freeway frontage, man. You guys have great, got great visibility. We can have the best uh, LED screens and the best marketing campaigns and we can have the coolest leaders and team people and we can have the best flat whites and coffee and cafe and foyer and the greatest kids church programs but all of that without the presence of God it's the presence of God that heals is the presence of God that delivers it's the presence of God that causes the enemy to come undone it's the presence of God that puts strength in the holy ones that puts strength in the saints of God we are a church of the presence of God and we are a church of the power of God I'm a product of the power of God. The power of God came upon my life and began to change it from 18 years of age. We are believers in the power of God. We are not, we are not so stupid or foolish that we believe that the power of God can be replaced with the programs of the saints. We do not believe that the programs of church can somehow be greater than the power of God. People need a power encounter. There is a real devil. There are real demons, and they are they are really destroying people's lives. There are real addictions and chains and struggles and battles that people walk into the house of God with. But there is a power that is greater. God forbid that the church should be relegated as the world tries to do it, the spirit of this world, the state tries to relegate the church and say, you just mop up after our mess. You just go and feed the homeless and, and you just go and take care of the dead. No, no, no. The church is the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. We are the saints. We are the glorious ones in the earth. We carry the presence and the power of God. If you read the book of Acts, which I encourage, you will find that everywhere they went, they turned the cities upside down. There were healings and miracles, the raising of the dead. What does the church do? The church brings life where there is death. There may be death in this marriage. There may be death in that person's future. There may, they may be death in that person's dreaming or death to their hope, death to their perceptions. But all of a sudden they walk into the house of God and there's a spirit, there's a power, there's an anointing that shatters those things, that breaks the chains of addictions, that revives dreams and men's broken hearts and causes people to believe again and hope again and desire again. It causes fractured and broken marriages to come back together. It brings life where there was death, life in marriage, life in family, life in dreams, life in prosperity. That's what the church does. We bring life to the dead. So God forbid that we should move back from the power of God. No, no, we're ramping up into the power of God. Can somebody say amen? I remember uh, when Leanne and I were first courting, we, uh, we got kicked. I got kicked out. She didn't get kicked out. She was always good. I get kicked out of everywhere I, I, I go. Hopefully I don't get kicked out of heaven. Hopefully. But uh, so funny. We got, I got kicked out of uh, Wollongong Church of Christ because I started speaking in tongues. And then, uh, and then I was just so fascinated with the presence of God. One Friday night at our youth group, I talked about the presence of God. And so people were like, and I said, yeah, it comes when you, when you worship. And so we start worshiping and as the presence of God falls, 
a, a teenage girl who'd been playing with Ouija boards starts manifesting a demon. Everyone's freaking out because they'd never seen this, so I cast the demon out. Well, the next minute, that was on a Friday night, the next minute on Sunday, all the elders of the church wanted a meeting with me, and one of the mums came and she's pointing a finger saying, you know, who gives you the authority to perform exorcisms in our youth group? And I'm like, I wasn't performing exorcisms. I was just casting out a demon. And anyway, it was like this whole finagle and uh, we had to leave. So we were shopping around and there was a, a beautiful church that uh, Leanne's little sister's husband's brother and his wife uh, run called the Lighthouse Church in Wollongong. And they used to bring people over who moved in the power of God. And I'll never forget one of the most impacting people was this guy called Robert Kayanja from uh, Kampala in Uganda. And uh, he was originally an interpreter for like people like uh, Reinhard Bonnke, he would interpret. And then because he was always around that anointing, that anointing began to come on him. And then God got him to start a church and he just operated in the miraculous because he experienced the miraculous. He started operating in it. And so he was in the meeting and some witches came in and they sat up the back and they've set up an easel and this this canvas and they began to, to, to kind of do this caricature of him. And then they had all these um, uh, like needles with, with feathers on there and they were dipping it into blood and apparently they'd sacrificed a chicken and they were trying to curse the meetings and they were trying to curse the power of God. You'll always find where the power of God is. That's where the enemy wants. And so they're, and so they're sticking it in. And so he got the report the night before. And so this was the second night they were doing it. So he had already had a meeting before the meeting with the ushers and the deacons. And he says, when this happens, if they come in again, lock the door so they can't get out. So he says, gives them the signal. So they lock the door and the, the, the witches are now realize they got no escape. And so he gets up and goes, silly woman, silly woman. And he says, do you think that the power of the devil is greater than the power of God? And so this, 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 this witch, I mean, she just starts, she starts manifesting. True story. She falls on the ground and I've never seen, this is how you know it's demonic. This is how you know it's supernatural. There was probably 30 rows between the front and the back. She fell on the ground and slithered like a snake at full speed. I don't know how the human body can do that. Underneath all the chairs, handbags are flying. People are screaming. People are getting up. And she comes up and she comes up in front of the pulpit. Now, he was only a skinny man because he was always fasting. Well, he gets around in front. And so deacons have come over. Security's come over. Trying to, trying to grab this woman. And with one arm, this woman is throwing these muscle-bound men, just throwing them. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, she's going to kill the preacher and the meeting's over. But he gets around and he stands in front of the pulpit and he goes, come, demon, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And she comes right up making all these threats. And then finally she drops, starts manifesting, starts casting all these demons out. The woman gets delivered, the, the, the meeting goes, and we're just sitting there like this. It was the first time I saw somebody uh, get up out of a wheelchair. There was a woman in a wheelchair. She'd been in a wheelchair for the last 18 years of her life. And so he pulls her out of the wheelchair, gets in the wheelchair, and he says, now, come on, mama, you push me in the wheelchair. And so she starts pushing him around the church. The place goes crazy. We'd never seen anything like that. And then I began to realize that, hey, this is what Jesus did. This is what the disciples did. This is what the book of Acts did. We need a church. We need a church that moves in the power of God. Power of God. Number two. Number two, success 
without a successor is not success. You cannot have success. There is no such thing in the Bible as one generation success. The problem with, with most of us is that, that we, we have become, just through happenstance, we've become so educated by the secular institutions around about us that we, that we elevate things like, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 magazines, and, and we read success stories, and we read how this person was a, an overnight success. This is a rags-to-riches success story. But you need to understand that the God in the Scripture never sees success as accomplishment. God always sees success as reproductive. God always sees success. For example, Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses got them to the promised land. Moses got them to, Joshua got them in. Joshua took down Jericho. Joshua took down Ai. Joshua was the one who fulfilled the promise, <coughs> excuse me, fulfilled the promise of the 12 tribes of Israel all receiving the inheritance. It was Joshua. And yet in the New Testament, Moses is mentioned over a hundred times, Joshua twice. Elijah, Elijah raises up Elisha. Elisha does twice the miracles. He has double the anointing of Elijah. And yet, Elijah is mentioned 27 times in the New Testament, Elisha once. Elisha once. Why is that? Because the fruit of Elisha and the fruit of Joshua's success is not attributed to them, but attributed to the one who developed them. God is a generational God. Whenever God introduces himself, he introduces himself as I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he introduces himself generationally. Success without a successor is no success at all. If you win, if you win the marathon, if you win the race, if you win the gold medal, if you accomplish, if you build great, the apostle Paul says, if I you know, cast out demons, if I heal the sick, if I do great, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong, it's empty, it's hollow, it's an echo, because you were created to raise up the next generation. You and I, David was incredibly successful. Why? Because we're seeing the fruit, we're seeing the overflow of David's leadership now in Solomon. Solomon is the successor to David's success. Just as Joshua was the successor to Moses, Elisha to Elijah, in the same way, we are a church of discipleship. We are a church of development. We cannot not be developing. Who are you developing and who is developing you? It should be, it should be a trinity. You in the center. Somebody is developing you and then you're developing somebody else. It's the trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It should be all three. You, you should be being developed. You should be in a group where you are being developed, where you are being stretched, where you are being challenged, where you are being fed. And at the same time, you are now raising up somebody else. You are now developed. That's how the church flourishes. That's how the church forges ahead. That's how we have success. We got to be people that understand that success without a successor is not success at all. We have a mandate in our church that we are not just here to get people saved. In 1948, Israel became a nation. This was almost like 2000 years of history. Israel becomes a nation and the world loses its mind. And, and the problem is not not only did the world lose its mind because they thought it would never happen, the church lost its mission. 
our mission up until that point was to go into all the world and make disciples. But we decided, oh, no, no, now that Israel became a nation, we can switch from making disciples because the Scripture says that whoever sees this happening, this generation will by no means pass away till Jesus returns. So we immediately thought, aha, Jesus is coming back within the next 40 years or 50 years, depending on how long you count a generation. We ain't got time for this discipleship stuff. Let's just get people saved. So we kind of just, all that matters is souls. All that matters is souls. All that matters is we're going to get people saved. We're going to get people saved. We're going to get people saved. Jesus did not say go into all the world and just get people saved. He said go into all the world and make disciples. So 72 years later, Jesus has not split the sky, but we're still preaching or we're still, most churches are just engineered that our job is just to get people saved. No, it's not. The great commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Now you can't make a disciple unless you first get them saved. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I have taught you. Our job is reproduction. The number one assignment of the church has to be to reproduce powerhouse warriors, has to reproduce leaders, has to raise up giant slayers, has to raise up successors to the success. Leanne and I fail. If people look back and remember the good old days of Jürgen and Leanne, Leanne and I failed. It should never be about us. It should be about we set in motion the domino effect of warrior after warrior, leader after leader, successor after successor. We want to raise up the next generation. The greatest days of awakened church are not behind us, are not even presence with us, still in the future, are still in front of us. We are not losing steam as we get more and more campuses. We are gathering steam as we get more and more campuses, as, as God begins to bless, because we are determined that we are going to raise up warriors. We're going to raise up leaders. We're going to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. Shebre de renga we're going to let people know their authority in Christ, how to cast out demons, how to heal the sick, how to raise the dead, how to, how to see God do miracles through your life, how to, how to impact, how to overthrow principalities and powers. We are here to raise up successes in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Now, I do have five points. I've got three more to go, but we've run out of time in part one of Solomonic Lessons. If you're watching right now and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, friend, what are you waiting for? Get on the bandwagon. Get on this train. The ship is leaving the harbor. The train is leaving the station. Get on. Give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it is the wildest ride. It is the greatest ride. It goes from this life into eternity. It just goes straight through. You will live forever. Give your life to Jesus Christ on the screen, awakenchurch.com forward slash Jesus. Click on there. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I promise you, you're going to love it. We just love you. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, you're going to love part B of this amazing message. God bless you.